to Pop the Question, a podcast that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia. We sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are. From Pannonia Honors College at Drexel University, Dr. Melinda Lewis here. I'm your host. So I'm here today with Raja Shar, Assistant Professor and Program Director of Product Design at Drexel University. Hey, Raja. Hello, Melinda. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to talk to you about science fiction, fantasy, all that jazz. Me too. What Do you know what your root is when it comes to like science fiction, fantasy? Like, do you remember being little Raja and going, oh, hello, this is for me? So growing up, like I loved, I still love TV, the commercials, all of it. But no, like growing up, we watched as much TV as we were allowed to. My parents, both of them had a deep love of sci-fi. Like my mom was a big Star Trek fan. And my dad was really into like all these different fantasy shows. Star Trek and Star Wars were definitely in there. But do you remember like back in the day, they would have these B-movie style. It would be like Sinbad the Sailor or Conan... Hercules. There would be like some animal character that was like larger than life that would be coming over rocks. And it was like this jolty stop motion effect of like a tiger reaching out to like grab the guy. Anyway, that was like my Sunday afternoons. It's like watching like these beings with my like that. Back to the Titans. Yeah, like all of those. Let loose the Kraken! And it was just like, oh, this is amazing. And then 2001 Space Odyssey. So that was kind of like what I cut my teeth on. You know, any sci-fi movie that came out, we were allowed to go see in the theater. And so that kind of led to me exploring books in the sci-fi genre. It seems to me like the things that you've brought about are the things that also kind of tie into product design, right? The creation of stuff and like what these things could look like. So I remember watching Clash of the Titans in sixth grade because we were doing Greek mythology. So it was like, how do you translate this text into this visual imagery? And how do you like make Medusa Medusa? Yeah, it's like the world building, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's some, one of the things that I really was excited about when Black Panther came out and they won so many Academy Awards was, you know, they're winning awards for the design and production, like, of, like how do you really create a world that's convincing mm-hmm. through hair, makeup, clothing, props, you know, special effects, all those things together so that you actually become immersed in that world. And I do think it's really important people have imaginations and make things up on their own, but I love those visuals. And it's also, once they're put out in the world, it's like, do you want the future to look like that? I remember, you know, watching Back to the Future, um, you know, the second one where they flash forward to the future. And I was like, you know, the inflatable shoes sounds pretty cool. Um, you know, the, the self-zipping shoes. Power laces, all right. So it's interesting, like, what gets proposed. But the other thing that I was, in terms of sci-fi, that also, like, enamored me was, like, this idea of they're usually sat in a world where either we've sort of, like, happily 
hummed along, advancing in technology, society has come together, now we're just all working together to explore further, or it's after the fallout of like a major catastrophe and you have to rebuild the world, right? And what does the new world look like? Maybe I think one of the differences is that sci-fi is all about potential, right? And what is possible. Science fiction allows this like realm of possibility to exist where like social structures are different, technology is different. I know, but I, I like both sides. I'm like, oh my gosh, what led to this? Like, how could we have prevented that from happening? Or how do we respond to it? Like, what does the world look like? So for me, like, it, there's a lot of things in there. So it's like, how is the society designed too? And like, what, what are we holding on to and designing around? Or what are we adjusting and changing? And so that's the other thing that I also like about sci-fi is oftentimes when you're growing up, especially like in the 80s and 90s, there was a extreme lack of representation on screen that you probably don't even realize if you are starting to watch media today because there is so much more available because we have shows from other countries where people are represented or the majority, right? So growing up in the States, there was an extreme lack of representation, but when it was there for Black people in sci-fi, it they wasn't about them being Black. The, the tensions that were established in those stories had to do with something else. If they were talking about race, it was talking about like literally species coming from one planet or another planet. Um, but it was really interesting that whenever you would see Black women in particular on screen, how they were handled. So like The Expanse with Naomi Nakata right now is one of my favorite characters just because I just think she's the smartest person in the room every single scene that she's in, but yet they still keep putting this white guy in charge. How did someone as smart as you end up on the Canterbury? I felt upwards to the level of my incompetence. What are you doing? Like, obviously listen to the woman engineer who clearly has been through a lot and knows everything. It's not gonna help either. You kill the power of the magnetic seal, the backup in that locker is gonna kick in and keep it shut. That's why I'm gonna kill the power source first, so the backup doesn't trigger. It's a good idea, but there's not enough time. You underestimate my ability to break things. Even looking at the way women are handled in general on a lot of sci-fi, you know, they are put into these positions where they're, they don't even acknowledge there was a previous oppression. It's just like obvious that they should be there. Of course they should be the person in charge. Of course that person should be the president of the universe or the this galaxy. Whereas if you see things set in present day, you often have to complicate it with social constructs. Like I was thinking as you were talking about Uhura from Star Trek and how people just listen to her because she's the expert. Yeah. Yeah. Progress report. Another half hour. Speed is essential, Lieutenant. Mr. Spock, I haven't done anything like this in years. If it isn't done just right, I could blow the entire communication system. It's very delicate work, sir. I can think of no one better equipped to handle it, Miss Uhura. Please proceed. Yes, sir. Right away. Nichelle Nichols' casting was so intentional at the moment when this show aired, like in the 60s. We're talking about in the midst of a civil rights movement with, you know, intentional plot lines. You have the first interracial kiss. You have this woman who's in charge. And what she represented on screen impacted the career path of so many people who went into STEM fields after that who identified as Black, right? Being mm -hmm. able to see this someone who was part of a team, but then the intentional choice to put her there, I think has to do with just a mat, that idea, like you were saying, 
of imagining new possibilities of what a world could look like if we were able to overcome some of the inherent inequities of society. Can you think of a text where it isn't done well? Yeah. I'm thinking about some books that I have been referencing lately. One is A Handmaid's Tale. When you look at it and how it's manifest, especially on screen, you really start to see there's some mismatches there. Mm. Girls, I know this must feel very strange, but ordinary is just what you're used to. This may not seem ordinary to you right now, but after a time it will. This will become ordinary. And what it does is it really positions people that are at the top and creates more of that divide between the haves and the have-nots. And the power that's imbued in those people that are in the 1%, the commanders and their families and the elites, and they're so out of touch with what's happening with the rest of society but even the rest of society is so afraid to like live and breathe. And then the other one that I keep coming back to is Parable of the Sower, the Octavia Butler book. And it's a two-part, two-parter. But the first one, Parable of the Sower, starts in the year 2024. Uh-oh. Which is, you know, <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> and the world that it's in is, it's right after sort of society starts to take a downward spiral. Drug use is on the rise. Disease and pandemics have not been controlled. Inflation is out of control. You have corporations that are like taking over. And climate change is out of control, which is leading to fires. There is a politician that's elected in this story, something gone. But like, you know, people are trying to figure out who they're going to vote for, who they're going to vote for. They vote for this person who is all about preserving that 1% rather than focusing on like society. You have rampant police violence. And it's like this story at the edge of like when people are trying to survive in this state. And then sort of like what is sort of a fueling thing for the protagonist of this story who happens to be a black woman is this idea of like looking to space, looking to the, looking to the stars, looking at this idea of one day escaping the realities of their planet to go somewhere else. And I often worry, like, when do we get to a point where that's the only escape? Hey, it's your mom. I have a question about that podcast you do. Are you on the Instagram or the Twitter or the Facebook? You know, like, if I have an idea for a podcast... How do I get in touch with you? Love you. Bye. Sup, Mom? Uh, yeah. So you can find us on all those things, actually. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just go to PopQuestPod on any one of those and follow. If you want to send us ideas, you can either go over to our website and leave us a message at Podcast. Or you can get us directly at popq at drexel.edu. You can actually find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, I can help set it up when I get home. But then you have to promise me to rate and review. All right. Love you. Bye. I remember when I saw Avatar for the first time, it was like, what? Everything about the planet 
was designed around this idea of connectivity around harmony. Every day it's reading the trails, the tracks of the waterhole, tiniest scents and sounds. But like it was vi so vividly presented. I remember just feeling like really small because I was able to sort of like suspend reality and really be in a completely different world. So even as a designer, I feel like that's what I try to get my students to push them towards is just speculating about realities that we really have not imagined at all. But it's a real stretch of the mind to get there. <laughs> because you both have to see what's not there. And that's kind of the magic of, of thinking that I think is so particularly special about product design and science and, and STEM of just being like the, the what if game, but like with things that don't exist yet until you articulate it or actually make it into the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it reminded me, and I think something you had said before reminded me of what I was so impressed by Black Panther as, as what it was inserting into the Marvel universe, which was like past, present and future and thinking about how we got there and like acknowledging the work of the Black Panther Party of Killmonger, like kind of being right about a lot of stuff <laughs> and the the implications of sharing technology and what that, you know, what happens when we do share technology and it gets colonized and weaponized. Or what happens if we don't? Yeah. We, do. we know that when we, when there is a group of people who has been oppressed. Their liberation has to be the work of everyone if it's actually to succeed. And if there are people in positions of power who don't use that power or divest because they don't see it as their problem, then you end up in a world like we have today. Like when we're talking about like the Black Lives Matter movement specifically, you know, this has been ongoing for for since since Africans were enslaved and put on ships and we have maintained sort of like these systems of oppression as much as we've been able to. And there've been tons of calls for this liberation. You have the emancipation of slaves, you have the civil rights movement in the 60s, you have our current day civil rights movement. And until people are in power willing to invest in equity and divest from power, you can't do that. And so even in a world like Wakanda, you have a society that's been able to like live and thrive on its own resources. And it really shows not only this picture of like black people thriving the radical black imagination but what happens when a society stays insular and protects mm -hmm. itself and does not share in that success this is what you would have me leave the daughter for to bring our children into this world where they become conquerors yes our children will be leaders of a truly free world not just a tiny country where we have to hide everything that makes us great. And Wakanda will stand tall. But at the same time, it's such a beautifully told story um, mm -hmm. about like what actually is possible, like, what liberation could really be like, you know, like what would, what were to happen if like we could wake up tomorrow and people could just go about their business and do what they want to do and just be great makers, be great designers, be great technologists, be great leaders. This idea of resistance is not really well represented at all. And when it is, it's very like, this is bad, this is good. But opening up the potential to talk about resistance is like necessary to a functioning society and like a developing understanding of people. 2020 is the year where I realized that money rules everything. <laughs> Power rules everything, and nobody cares about humanity, really. 
And that's how you get to Apocalypse. That's how you end up in Mad Max. That's how you end up in Waterworld. People don't read books or watch shows or they don't believe them. So I'm like, science fiction, even though it is fiction, they read like cautionary tales of like, if you keep doing this, bad things could happen. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, we're at, a, we're at an inflection point in the world. I'm hoping that something good and positive will result from all of this. But at the same time, if it doesn't, I won't be surprised. <laughs> and I have read enough survival manuals that I feel fairly confident that I will be okay. <laughs> I remember, do you remember the worst case survival scenario handbook that came yeah. out in like 2000 or 99? I taught a summer camp based on that book. I have always been about the end of the world. <laughs> now, when we need it more than ever, with all new up-to-date content and dozens of brand new 21st century scenarios, because it's still a dangerous world out there, and you just never know. Be prepared. I'm ready for it. Don't panic. I'm a doomsday optimist. Have a plan. Or it cannot happen. It would be great if we could like get off the edge of the cliff and come back. The minute COVID was sort of announced as this thing, I was like, this is it. <laughs> It's, I knew it was, I knew it. Like, we've had all this time to figure this out. We've been watching The Twilight Zone. We've been watching all these things. We've had movies called Pandemic. We've been, we have all these movies about the end of the world. We know how this plays out. We have Hunger Games. Come on, you guys. You really want to know how to stay alive? You get people to like you. Oh, not what you were expecting. And I think you've presented a really great argument for like why making time for fiction is so important because it really does get you thinking about imaginary worlds, the ways that we build those worlds, the way that we interact with those worlds, engage with those worlds, and how that can stimulate like our ideas about the potential future and our place within that potential future. It's really important that I keep up with the stories, the imagined stories of possible futures. Yeah, I mean, it's your job. Thank you. I think so. Our interactions with media and music and culture have like really shaped who we are. And I really don't want my students to leave that aside when they enter a space. I think that's what we needed to keep in mind is like, how do we prevent dystopia from happening so that we can move towards this idea of a utopia or even just like an okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, where do we live in a world where everyone is okay? <laughs> I think that's a perfect summation. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, cool. Pop the Question was researched and hosted by Dr. Melinda Lewis. Our theme music and episodes are produced by Brian Kantorik with additional audio production by Noah Levine. All of this was done under the directorship of Erica Levy-Zellinger, the deanship of Dr. Paula Moranz-Cohen, and the Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. I honestly do. What we talking about? Practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice. We talking about practice, man.